Hello and welcome to GMI, the Guitar and Music Institute. Many of the previous podcasts have not just been about guitar players or music matters, but new businesses. And this podcast is also about a business that is in Massachusetts, in Boston, in America. The owner of that business is called Sam Tharp, and he runs a website called Fretish. When Fretish first came to my attention, I was really interested because it seems like it's a great idea, but does it have a lot of pitfalls? And that's why I'm talking to Sam today, to find out all about Fretish. Because basically, what Fretish offers is that musicians can hire out their musical instruments or equipment for an evening and get paid for that hire to people that use the Fretish website. So I'm really interested to find out exactly where Sam thinks this is going to go, learn about Sam, and learn about the whole idea. It's hard, we all know, to make a living just playing music. So anything that can help musicians make a little money is a good idea in my book. So coming up is episode number 23 of the GMI podcast. My name is Jed Brocky. Let's go straight into it. Okay, Sam, it is great to have you on the podcast all the way over there in Massachusetts. Hi, Chad. Good to be with you. Um, Now, I have actually been to Boston once, many moons ago, um, and I lived, you know, Cambridge. I do, yeah. It's right across the river from me. Right. Do you you know the town hall? Uh, I'm sure I've walked past it. Yeah. There's some... I, I, I was in a flat just to the side of the town hall. Yeah, I was in the. Uh, I just lived opposite or, or to the side of the town hall, and there was a fantastic Mexican, or just a wee Mexican cafe, which I've never had food as good as that Mexican food anywhere. It was just amazing. Was it um, Boca Grande or uh, Anna's Yeah, I, I can't remember, but I do remember they had 40 different little sauces you could try, and they had this thing where they. They had rice that was actually inside an omelette. There was like an omelette had was around the rice and the chicken and stuff was wrapped in it. It was absolutely astonishing. You know, before I came to Massachusetts, I lived in Texas for three years. So I came up and I was a bit of a Mexican food snob. But there are a few pockets here and there where you find some really good, authentic Mexican food. So uh, I know people listening into this might be think we're wanting to talk about uh, just... Uh, Boston or Cambridge or Mexican food, but actually we're going to be talking about your uh, business and uh, website uh, and offering, which is called Fretish. But before we start on that, could you maybe tell the listeners a little about yourself? And uh, well, we're all on a journey these days, your journey to where you are now. Yeah. Um, So I have played guitar for over 30 years. I don't claim to be a good guitarist, but I love the instrument. Um, started off playing, you know, rock and roll, blues guitar. And then uh, about 10 years ago, I um, started learning from a flamenco guitarist called Juanito Pascual. Great who, name. Um, yeah. And uh, um, so I love to play, um, love to um, sort of um, jam with uh, other guitarists and other musicians. Um, and so that's one side of my life. Um, The other side of my life is that um, I have a significant amount of experience in the Internet space. So I was the original product manager for AOL Instant Messenger. Um, So, so, Sam, is is AOL still going? Because it used to be absolutely massive once upon a time. Yeah. 
So they literally just announced uh, about a month or two ago that they were going to be shutting down Instant Messenger, but um, AOL was purchased by Verizon um, some years ago, and then it was Verizon that purchased Yahoo just recently, and they've combined AOL and Yahoo under this name called Oath. Um, and so <laughs> it's just this variety of online properties that um, they try and sell advertising against. Um, so. AOL and Yahoo are now technically referred to as Oath within Verizon, but you can still go to AOL.com. You can still go to Yahoo. So they're still there. They still have millions, literally hundreds of millions of users on their properties, but um, they're certainly diminished from where they were you know, 20 years ago. It's incredible how these huge worldwide corporations that are in so many people's consciousnesses, if that's a word, uh, rise and fall. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because you don't see that many digital properties rise, fall, and then come back from the ashes where it's, it's more common for, you know, car companies like General Motors to, you know, climb the heights, crash, go through bankruptcy, and then they're, they're back in some form or another. But the digital world is very unforgiving. So once you're sort of like on the downward trajectory, it's pretty hard to come back. I can't think of one story where they have really sort of reversed it. But interestingly, if we think of MySpace, MySpace still has millions of users, doesn't it? Although if you asked anybody who knew about MySpace, they would probably say, oh, that's dead. Yeah. Yeah. So they are out there. I think it was, um, was it um, Justin Timberlake that bought MySpace? He, he, he has some uh, stake in one of those properties. And so they do have millions of, so I'll give one example. AOL had a number of different sort of lines of business. One of them was the subscription uh, model. So you would pay to get access to the internet. It was their dial-up service. They still have probably like 5 million paying customers who pay something like $25 a month to, to sort of get on the internet, despite everyone having you know, access to broadband and other forms of, of um, you know, connection. But there are people that have just like, once they're on, they've got their email address, they've got their screen name, and then they just never want to part with it. That is absolutely astounding. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. so that gives them a bit of leverage, doesn't it, as you would say? Yeah, so they certainly have that recurring revenue stream that, you know, is only going to go off as people start to literally die off. But, um, you know, for the next, you know, 20 to 30 years, they've got a reliable source of revenue that they can count on. So you didn't, you've not just worked with AOL. There, there have been other big names that you've worked with, isn't there, Sam? Yeah, um, so I spent uh, four years at Monster.com. Monster um, is, was um, a very large uh, job board, um, bringing together employers with job seekers. It was probably bigger in the United States than in Europe, but we definitely had a European office, and um, I spent um, some time in our Prague office and our UK office uh, with Monster. And so um, uh, during my time there, I was head of the e-commerce group, so responsible for selling our employer products online, um, so job postings and access to the resume database, and um, had a great time there. And um, from there, 
went into um, the higher education space and um, kind of did a similar thing where we were matching colleges with high school students, helping high school students find the right college. So I called it like eHarmony, but instead of finding your soulmate, we help you find um, the right college for you. And um, That's interesting because there was a guy on the BBC News recently from England. He's about 24 years old and he's a multimillionaire. And he's, that's the space that, that he's in. Yeah. It's just, in Scotland, education, thankfully, is still free. But in England, they have to pay in dollars. It would probably be about, I think they're probably paying about $16,000 a year for their education down there. Yeah. So it's, it's a phenomenal story. That Yes, 24 and, uh, you know, a multi-multi-millionaire. Yeah, it's surprising. It was surprising to me that um, colleges don't um, just naturally enjoy people coming and applying to them. They literally have to find people that um, sort of fit a certain profile or are interested in the courses that are offered at that school, people that have a qualified, you know, grade point average and um, test scores. And so it was it was interesting to see, you know, how much effort colleges put into and resources go into bringing in that first year class of students and then trying to retain them throughout the four years. So you've you've gone through all of this. Um, how did you get to Fretish? What were, what were the seeds of all of this? Yeah, I've been um, thinking about Fretish as a concept for about two years, um, starting in 2015. And really, there was no one single aha moment where I said, ah, I know what I'm going to do. I know what I'm going to name it. It was more an observation of what was happening um, in the digital space and looking at players like um, Airbnb and um, to a lesser extent, uh, Zipcar, which is a car sharing service um, and Uber. Um, And so just thinking, what is the natural progression from um, real estate property and automotive properties? It wouldn't seem too far a stretch to um, uh, move into the music instrument space. And so Um, I had this concept in my mind of matching people who own musical instruments but are not currently using them and then offering them up for a short-term loan uh, or rent to friends and neighbors. Um, And the brand name Fredish um, really came to me, that that more or less was an aha moment where um, I spend a lot of time online on social media uh, platforms looking at guitar pictures. (laughs) And so as is the um, way things happen, most people will hashtag um, these photographs and they might say something like guitar porn or gear porn or something along those lines. And so um, the idea of the fret of the the neck of a guitar and fretish and fetish, it it all started to um, coalesce around this notion of people having this insatiable quest and thirst for the latest, coolest, most beautiful uh, musical instrument out there. And so um, by chance, by by fortune, good fortune, um, the name was available. Um, so bought the domain um, and then put in a service mark application. And um, so, so that name has really served me well. It's really resonated with people and um, 
it, it's just a cool sort of um, brand that I happened to stumble into. So from initial concept, uh, how long did it take to get the website up and running in the form that it is now? Yeah. Um, so the, um, the time was probably about 18 months from initial concept to getting it up and running. Um, and it's certainly not the full picture of, you know, what I have in mind, but it's pretty darn good. And, um, it is tailored for that short-term rental experience. And, um, so in some ways we're not that dissimilar from a reverb or an eBay or a Craigslist, but we are optimized specifically for people wanting to rent instruments. Whereas those other platforms that I just talked about are really geared towards just selling your instruments outright um, and then not having sort of further engagement with the person that you've dealt with. Now, it does seem that the majority of the instruments on the website are guitars. There are some drums and cymbals and things uh, and a couple, three basses. Is that a surprise that the guitar has been so popular or was that always the intention, especially with the name? Yeah, I think um, uh, it was it was by design um, that we would have uh, more guitars on the site um, than other instrument categories. But that said, I don't think that the brand is so exclusive that um, people won't eventually come to see it as a platform for all kinds of different instrument types. But yeah, initially I've just been focused on guitarists, um, bass players. Um, and then and then eventually move into those other categories like drums, keyboards. We actually have, uh, I think, great opportunity in um, the effects pedal space. So effects pedals are um, compact, they're durable, um, they're very easy to um, either ship or uh, hand off to someone else, and there's not as much emotional attachment um, with a pedal, um, an effects pedal as there is with a guitar. So effects pedals is a category that we don't have a significant number of pedals on the site right now, but I think that has huge opportunity down the road. So, so, uh, there's, I've got a, a whole list of questions I want to ask you about the, the business model, etc. Um, but I want to be sort of focusing on just one or two little things at a time. Basically, because if you answer everything right away, I wouldn't have anything else to ask you. <laughs> so the, the first thing I would like to, to ask you is, um, the, there only seems to be two places as far as I can see where this is popular, and that's in... Uh, Massachusetts, I take it Boston itself, and Ohio, where it's got some. Why is it so localized? Well, um, it's a function of being a startup and really starting to focus on an individual market area to um, make sure that we've got all the kinks worked out. So um, it is by design that we've started in Boston um, and the greater New England area to really make sure that we're connecting the right people with one another, that we have the ability to scale. And then um, the plan in 2018 is to start to move out into other areas, um, specifically New York and Nashville, which, of course, are two big music towns. So uh, I'm already talking rubbish because as I zoomed in on the map, I see that there are uh, four offers in Connecticut. Oh, wait a minute. 
I maybe got that wrong. There's a, a gay, no. There's there's some offers in New York, isn't there? Or is that more like um, New York? We've got them in Austin, in Connecticut, in Rhode Island, um, and then I, I'm also in discussion with a, a number of um, smaller guitar builders. Um, so luthiers. I and, want to I want to come to that later, Sam. So yeah, um, yeah. What? Um, when you say that you want to target other areas, what do you mean by that? How do you go about targeting other areas? Well, um, a marketplace like Fredish has two sides to it. Um, and there's the supply side, um, which is the instruments. And then there's the demand side, which are the people that want to rent them. And so you can't effectively go into a market when you don't have adequate um, number of instruments available. So, the first thing we focus on doing is identifying people in a particular market or geographic region, getting them to try Fredish, and then once you have that um, critical mass of instruments available, then you start to make it, it known to guitar players, the broader guitar playing community, that we have instruments here that are available for you to rent. So it's really um, a two-step process or a three-step process. One, identifying the area that you're going to focus on. Two, getting the supply side of the marketplace fulfilled. And then three, raising awareness amongst the guitar players in that particular area. Okay, so could you just describe to the listeners exactly and only this, how Fretish works, the, the actual complete from beginning to end? Yeah, so um, signing up with Fretish is free. Listing an instrument on Fretish is free. Um, if you choose to rent your instrument through Fretish, um, we take a small percentage of that transaction, whether it's a rental or an outright sale of your instrument through Fredish. And that um, amount is 11% of uh, the transaction. Um, and on the guitar player side, it's, it's even more simple. Um, you don't have to register to go on the site and look at instruments. Um, if you are a guitar player, you go on the site, um, you find an instrument that you like, um, you would simply click the rent button for that particular instrument, identify the days um, that you would like to play that instrument, and then you'd submit um, a credit card to um, essentially reserve that instrument um, to play. And so what happens at the time when you submit that credit card um, is it notifies the owner of the instrument that, hey, this person is interested in renting this instrument on this date or these dates. And then the guitar owner has the ability to um, essentially ask follow-up questions about maybe where they want to pick up or drop off the instrument. Um, and then they either accept the booking request or they reject the booking request. If the booking request is rejected, then you, the person that had tried uh, to rent the instrument, are not charged anything. If the owner says, yep, let's go forward, let's uh, go forward with this transaction, um, you meet, you exchange, uh, well, there's no exchange of money, it's all done through the platform, but you hand the owner hands over the guitar, you take the guitar home, you play it, you maybe take it to the studio and play it, you return it, and then, and then the payment is um, completed online through Fredish, similar to how an Uber or an Airbnb works. 
Okay, Sam, that that was excellent. Um, And I think everybody can get that. But I do have some reservations about this system, which I think a lot of people listening to this probably have. And that is, it seems like a thief's charter. They see an instrument they want, they quite fancy it, they hire it for a night for $67 with a a crooked uh, credit card or something, and then they run off with the instrument. The other issue that I thought could be a possible problem is damage. Um, How are all of these really complex areas, we're talking about instruments sometimes that cost a fortune and that people really love. How, how, is, how do you deal with all of that? Yeah. Um, so there's a couple of sides to this. Um, the first is um, the way that Fredish is going about raising awareness of the service. So it's not being mass marketed. Um, it's really being more on, a, on an individual level. So we hold monthly guitar gatherings, um, and it's really a chance for um, musicians to meet with one another, get familiar with one another, um, and understand that there are people that are behind these transactions. And so this notion of a community that's built around um, on principles of honesty, trust, respect, um, that's something that is is ingrained in people as we're bringing fresh to their awareness. That's just one side of it. The other side is um, some of the things that I talked about um, the owner having the capability of doing. They don't immediately just hand over their instrument to someone. Someone makes a request to rent that instrument. And there's a 36-hour window in which the owner of the instrument can ask any question they want. So they can identify if, you know, it's a smoking household, if there's small children in the household, if there's, you know, a Labrador with an overactive happy tail that they just don't want to risk their instrument going into, you know, the wrong household. They can reject for any reason that they want. Um, And and so that's an area where um, the owner has, you know, the capability, the, the, um, the right to reject a request at any time. So that's another area. Um, And then there's the actual um, process of fulfillment. Um, We don't recommend when you're doing short-term rentals that you ship an instrument out to someone that you've never met before. We strongly encourage there to be a face-to-face meetup point where you can get a size of the person that you're renting to. And again, if you're not comfortable don't rent the instrument um, to that individual. Um, so that's that's another aspect to it. There is an actual legal binding um, agreement that is happening when someone is renting through Fredish. So it's enforceable by law that um, you are going to guarantee the return of this instrument in good condition, shan't be lost or stolen. Um, And that's legally binding. And so me, as the owner of Fredish, I have great incentive to ensure that this platform be a place that people trust and that um, they can regard as, uh, you know, a site where there are honest actors taking place. So if there's any indication that someone um, is a, you know, um, coming from over, say, you know, 50 miles to come get your instrument. That's probably a red flag. That's the sort of thing where Fredish might make an interdiction of sorts and let the owner know that this doesn't seem to be like a typical 
engagement, and you should be aware. Um, there are other uh, resources that you know I will call upon in order to make sure that um, you know bad actors don't uh, come onto the site. And so there's law enforcement. There's other mechanisms to ensure that you don't have your instruments stolen or damaged. So here's another problem. What about if the instrument is damaged, but you don't find out about that damage until later? Or how about unscrupulous owners who then say that their instrument was damaged, even if it wasn't? So um, great questions. And um, there's certainly that potential of, of um, fraud or deceit. And so what I advocate as common uh, practices to document instruments um, just as they're about to go out for rent and to document instruments that are just received as a renter. Is this a, then, in a pictorial form? Yep. Um, so like I just grab my phone as a common practice and I do a quick video scan of the guitar before I send it out. I note the date, the time, and then um, just um, would call out any blemishes that may previously exist. As a renter, it's in your best interest to take that guitar that you've just received, do a quick video scan, point that out, and then before you're about to drop it off, do a similar drop off so that if there is any kind of dispute, um, it can be resolved by looking at any kind of evidence of what's gone out, um, and in what condition it's um, been received. There have been a number of discussions with uh, music insurance companies, instrument insurance companies. Um, and the, the universal response that I've received is, based on this particular marketplace, they could write a policy um, that would probably have an extremely high deductible and would require a, an extreme amount of uh, details around the condition of the instrument before it gets sent out and uh, as it's received. And so ultimately getting a, an insurance policy from a music instrument insurer seemed to be so, so onerous to um, both the renter and the owner of the instrument that um, we're basically follow, following a policy of self-insurance, which is if you've put your credit card down and um, you have rented an instrument, if the owner comes back to us within 48 hours and says, my instrument has been damaged or is lost, stolen, then we'll take that credit card and we'll charge the fair retail value for that instrument to try and make um, the owner whole. If the credit card on file is fraudulent, then Fredish will cover the cost for that guitar owner to make that guitar owner whole. So what, um, so what, what about this, the second scenario where there hasn't been damage and they, and they then say there has been damaged? If you immediately go to reimburse the owner of the instrument, then that's not good, is it? No, no. And so... When um, guitar owners um, join the site and they're um, seeking to list their instruments for rent or sale, it's not automatically available. They actually have to go through a screening process. And so at that time, what Fredish is doing is essentially doing a character assessment. Is this someone a good actor or a bad actor? Is it a perfect screen? Probably not 100% perfect. But just by asking simple questions about what a person's intent is, where they found the instrument, where they you know, got the instrument, 
um, you start to discern pretty quickly who's a good actor and who's a little bit more shady. And if there's any hint that someone's not a good actor, then they're not given permission to either um, rent or to list their instrument on the site. Okay, Sam, that sounds uh, great. So before I ask you about how the business in general is going and how your uh, what your plans are for the future, you said that people could meet up and it's more than just a, a lending thing. But in, is that not another weakness in that people could meet up, become friends and just hand their instrument over to their friend? They could, but, you know, at its core, I think Fredish is about a musical community. Yeah, I want to make money from this proposition and the business needs to be viable in order to continue. But um, I don't want to create this airtight um, uh, machine where musicians can't talk with other musicians and share instruments. The whole idea behind Fredish is there's a lot of great um, instruments out there. There are a lot of great musicians out there. And we kind of get siloed in our everyday existence. And so Fredish is really about bringing people together. And maybe I've got a great instrument that I'm just not playing all that often. I carry a little bit of guilt that this instrument isn't getting played regularly. And frankly, it's just gathering dust. So if I can meet another musician um, and um, you know share my guitar with them, if I make money, that's great. If I get in exchange sort of a music lesson, this guy teaches me a finger-picking style that I otherwise wouldn't have learned, um, then I think that's a good thing. And so I think there's a societal benefit to you know bringing musicians together, building a sense of community. And in the long run, Fredish is going to benefit because people are going to see us as a valuable service that recognizes the importance of music in our lives and bringing people together. Well, that's um, I'm all for that. I'm all for that, Sam. Now, about the scalability of the business, um, you were talking about Luther, Luthiers uh, earlier. What are your plans for your future? And generally, how how well is the business going? Is it on track to how you thought it would go? Yeah. Um, so um, the business is a startup, so we're not profitable yet. Um, having said that, um, I did set some. Uh, internal milestones that I hope to achieve by the end of the year. And I'm on track to hit those milestones in terms of people who have joined the site, people who have listed instruments, people who have rented um, or sold instruments outright through the site. Um, So it's on track to do what I had um, set for myself as the goals were. And so with that momentum, 2018, I plan to um, start raising investment dollars to help grow and expand beyond um, the Boston and greater New England uh, market. And so um, the intent is to um, raise some money and then from there expand into additional markets along the East Coast of the United States. And then knock on wood, everything um, continues to go well, then we would expand nationally, if not globally, with Fredish. So it's been great experience so far. Um, a lot of enthusiasm from people that I've spoken with, both on the guitar owner side as well as on the player side. There's certainly a segment of guitar owners that are out there that are a bit like Nigel Tufnell from Spinal Tap, and you know they say, "Don't don't look at my guitar, don't point at the guitar, you know, don't breathe on the guitar," and that's totally fine. I recognize that fretish isn't for everyone. Um, and, and that's just, you know, it is what it is, but there's enough people out there that are cool, that understand the premise of Fredish 
and um, are interested in uh, meeting other uh, uh, musicians. And so it's, it's been uh, a very good experience thus far. And, and Luther's, you're creating new instruments? Yeah, so that's an interesting sub-segment on the supply side. So there's individual um, guitar collectors, um, but then luthiers um, who produce, say, less than a thousand instruments a year, they have an incredible incentive um, to use Fredish. Because they don't produce that many instruments, it's very difficult for them to get into a major retailer like Guitar Center or Sam Ash. Um, or, or um, one of those types of companies. And so when they can't get their instrument into these um, retailers, then guitarists who would otherwise be really thrilled about owning one of their instruments have no awareness. And so with limited distribution, they have limited sales. Fredish is a solution for them because it gets your instruments into the hands of qualified players and then they can either purchase that guitar um, that they rented out, or they could then end up um, being a custom order for that um, for that luthier. So that's a really interesting um, segment of of the supply side of Fredish that I've seen a lot of uh, you know really good feedback attending some of the trade shows here in um, the New England area. There was the Northeast Guitar Expo that happened uh, just a couple of months ago. Then there was the Woodstock uh, Invitational Luthier Showcase in Woodstock, New York. Um, so a lot of positive feedback from luthiers about using Fredish as a way to get their really high quality instruments into the hands of people that love playing a really fine instrument in the quality of their home not having to battle with the guys playing Metallica through the Marshall stack at Guitar Center. So there's a, there's a great symbiosis there. Well, I've got to say, Sam, I've really had to ask you about this business when, when uh, you came to my attention. And it's been a fascinating interview. It'll be interesting to see how things develop. But I can assure you that we'll, uh, on the podcast page uh, on the Guitar Music Institute website, We'll have that beautiful video that you created. We'll put that up. We'll put all the links to your website. And hopefully you'll get about 80, 70 to 80% of the people that listen to this podcast are in uh, America, United States of America. So hopefully it's going to get the news out there. And Fretish is going to be on everyone's lips very shortly in 2018. That's great. So thanks, Jeff. Appreciate your time. Thanks for having me on the radio program. No, no problem. And uh, keep in touch. And maybe in a year's time on that, we'll find out what's happening. All right. Sounds good. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Cheers. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Sam. It's all a lot clearer now. I must admit, I still have my doubts, as they say. I still have my doubts about how many people would want to hire out one of their beloved instruments. But... It's working, and it's working over in Boston, and Sam is, as he said, moving into New York, and there are other areas showing an interest. So what do I know? I'm going to keep my fingers crossed, and we'll be hopefully finding out in another, say, 12 months, exactly what's happening to Fretish. I would encourage you to come over to the Guitar Music Institute website, which is at www.guitarmusicinstitute.com, to learn more about Fretish, there's links to the website and various online resources. 
So this is December 2017. I would just like to say it's been really fun doing these podcasts. I started them in February. It's just been wonderful meeting all these people from around the world. I hope you're enjoying our output. My New Year's resolution for 2018 is to try and make sure that the podcasts come out thick and fast. So all that's left for me to do is to, if you're listening to this in December 2017, and you might well not be, because I know that these podcasts are downloaded time and time again, month after month, but if you are just about to embark upon Christmas and uh, Hogmanay in the new year, all the best over the coming holiday period. So for me, Jed Brocky, I'm signing off for 2017, and hopefully, fingers crossed, I'll be back in 2018. Thanks for listening.